is who they are online. I mean, I have a lot of people I know that have young kids that are in their teens and like they care more about who they are online than they care more than who they are today. And so we're evolving to where like you, who you are online, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like almost hard to describe matters. What matters in business being top of mind to somebody like you can be the best realtor in the world, but if I don't think of you, it doesn't matter what you're doing with the podcast and your social media handles is one, you're being top of mind, but anybody, the only reason anybody's going to follow you anyway is because you're interesting to them. And I think what we're now learning to your point is like, it ain't interesting to just have these like static posts that like everybody wants to hear. People want to align with people that they align with. And you can, and you, and so I look at who I am online as like my personality. That's who I'm trying to show people. We love people's brands and personalities, not just because I say people, I think, follow me because I'm authentic. I'm willing to put stuff out there that people don't agree with. But if we call them fortune cookie people, but if, if I'm just somebody posting all these quotes that are that like nobody's going to disagree with and it's very easy to like it, it's like, okay, that's one thing. But if you go look at the people on social media that are winning, they're winning because they're being authentic and they're being their true selves. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this episode, you can go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED for my fellow Marines that can't spell very well. <laughs> ED, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast. You can go and download all of these episodes. It'll have the links to pod, to Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, and you can click on the read more for guests like today, the one and only Chris Powers, <laughs> my fellow TC Frog. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing great, and I'm excited to be here today. Thank Man, you for having me, Jeremy. I, I, I got to tell you, when I when I knew that I was going to actually get a podcast started, and it was two years in the making, Yeah. And and then when I had to start building out my guest list, you were one of the first people that came to my mind. Is I've, I was like, man, I got to get, I got to get on here, and and I'm going to try to totally weird out Chris and say I've had a man crush on this guy since oh, we man. were actually at TCU at the same time, yeah, doing our undergrads. Of course, we didn't know each other back then or anything, but watching your evolution is just nothing short of impressive. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, and we'll we'll jump into more dialogue because I got to always start these off with a little cheesy dad joke. Let's do it, right? That. My father-in-law says I got to do jokes, <laughs> and so I try to do the worst jokes I can possibly do. That way, every time he's listening to this, it it, it drives me. Is why are chefs always trying to win? I don't know why are they the Hunger Games. <laughs> 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 the jokes are horrible, and that is totally intentional. That's it, man. I love it. So, for the audience, give us a quick little snippet of you're on podcasts. Many a podcast you have your own podcasts uh, that I listen to religiously. Yeah, and uh, so finding out more about Chris's journey, there's other podcasts that I will actually link to here that way you can the audience can see that. Is but Chris, give us kind of a quick 
synopsis of where you came from. You, you grew up, dad was a lawyer, and then El Paso, right? Yeah. And then take us from there. Okay. Well, one, thank you again for having me. I'm pumped. It's great to be on this side of the mic. So I grew up in El Paso, Texas. My my father was a lawyer. When I was seven, after 13 years, he came to my mom and said, I want to st- He was a after 13 years and a partner's lawyer, I want to be a doctor. And so imagine being 37 years old and deciding you want to go be a doctor. And so we left and we moved to Lubbock and we went to medical school and then we moved back to El Paso and did our resident and did his residency there. And uh, he finished when I was about 15. I graduated high school when I was 17, a year early, went to TCU and I've been in Fort Worth ever since. And I think the part of the story of my dad becoming a doctor is really more indicative of kind of what I think put a lot of things in my life that are who I am today. So, you know, when you're a medical student, you're not making any money. You're taking on student loan debt. You're, you know, you're making literally zero dollars. And then you go to residency and you make not zero, but pretty close to zero after that. And so for eight years, I kind of lived this life my first seven years, which was my dad was a lawyer at a law firm. It was, a, it was a very smooth life. We were living in El Paso, Texas. And then your world just kind of changes. And as a seven-year-old, I didn't really realize what was going on. But as I draw on things from my past, it made me very entrepreneurial. It made me, my dad was who I, who I cherish and, and, and love. It's just like things weren't given to me as a kid. I had to work for them, even at a young age. And I just remember that. And so I've always been a really ambitious, motivated person. I've built and started companies. I have a podcast. And I just draw on a lot of years of those early days when I, you know, things weren't, I don't want to say they weren't as easy, but you just, I didn't grow up getting everything I wanted. And I think it's a superpower. I think people that grow up needing to work for things and, and work hard have an advantage over those that don't. And so those are some of the best years of my life. I think they set the foundation for who I am today. And it's a big part of who I am. Went to TCU, started a company there buying rental houses my freshman year. This was 04. I was able to take advantage of a time when it was easy to borrow money. I was getting loans as a 17-year-old with no money down and no credit. Getting my first loan, I think it was 3% down, 6% cash back at closing. Bought a rental house next to TCU, and I got it rented to some of my fraternity brothers. And I went back and I refinanced. I bought it for 103000 and I refinanced it uh, a few months later at $140,000 valuation, pulled cash out, and again, took advantage of an opportunity at a time. And fast forward 17 years later, I run a business now called Fort Capital here in Fort Worth, married with two beautiful daughters and a beautiful wife. We have just under a half a billion of assets under management across Texas and a phenomenal team of 25 people. I have a podcast, I invest, and that's what I do. So. How many years in between the first acquisition and today? The first acquisition was in 2005, so like February, probably 2005, and today, so I've been in it 16 years. So math for Marines, we're not really known for counting, but if I, if I understand what you're saying right is, in 16 years, you went from $100,000 in assets to 16 years later, just shy of half a billion in assets that's right do do you ever just sit around and it just like you're like wow like holy cow it's funny you mention that i am not that type of person and i don't say that that's a good thing i don't 
I don't do a great job of smelling, stop and smelling the roses. I wake up every day and feel like I have something to prove. And I wake up every day feeling, I don't know if the word's poor, but I don't, I wake up every day poor and I try and go to bed every day rich. Now that doesn't mean just money. That's just like fulfilling myself throughout the day. But no, like it's really weird. And, And now that I'm 34 years old and I have two young daughters and I have, you know, I, I can kind of look back in the mirror over 17 years is, yeah, I pinch myself every now and again, but I don't dwell in the moment on kind of where we are. Like we're at a half a billion and now I'm wondering why we're not at a billion. Like that's just kind of how my, and I think that's been a driving force. It's a net positive overall, but I do tell myself more often like, dude, you got to just chill out for a second and like look around and smell the roses. But I think it's that desire and that kind of passion that's what's kept me going and created a lot of opportunity. I got to ask something because I know on one of the episodes you had Stanton Williams. Yeah. He's also my culture index guru, guru per se. And what's your profile? Well, I'm going to show it. One, I want to show it to you because I've got a feeling that you and I have very similar ones, but does yours look like that? So you are a rainmaker? Is that Tra- a rainmaker? Tra- trailblazer. trailblazer. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine is a very high A. I'm a daredevil. Oh, so, yeah. So I'm a no high. brake pedal. I'm no brake pedal. <laughs> so I have a huge high A. I have a B below the line, C below the line, and then D that trails off. So I have you look like you have some detail. You have the hook. Yeah. I don't have very much detail. I have to surround myself with people that can get the job done. Oh. And if I don't, Man. I'm screwed. So, but your, your, your is like, so basically the difference between yours and mine is from your A trait to your D trait are about as far apart as, as they can be. Yes. Right. Yeah. And my A if, trait. It, is, I think I'm a seven, yeah. I think I'm seven points from D to A. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And mine is the search sense of urgency to desire to win is as far apart. So yep. guys like you and I. Our, our minds are going from the time our feet hit the floor to the time the head hits the pillow, right? Yes, dude. The difference is, is it can be exhausting. <laughs> I mean, I, I, my mind never stops. Yeah. I, you know, you hear all the time, like, stay in the moment, enjoy the moment. I don't know. This is kind of weird to say. It's like, I can't physically sometimes do it. Like, it, even when I try and I'm like, even like right now. I have to train myself to like sit and be in this moment because I'm already thinking about the next 10 things I'm about to say. And I don't know how to stop that. Yeah, it's it's hard. Actually, I was horrible, horrible. I mean, talk about a, a skill set I needed to learn was that. And where I did learn it is when, when I went back to TCU and did their executive MBA program. And in the beginning, they do a 360 and it comes back with, hey, you have all these, I think it was like 35 competencies and they fall into categories of these are the things you know you're good at. And I was like, no surprise. These are the things you know you're not good at. These are the things you're good at that, or these are the things people think you're good at, but you didn't think you were good at. And I was like, really? You think I'm good at that? And then what I call the clearly I'm really proud of myself category, but not everybody else thinks so. (laughs) (laughs) And mine was doing the same thing as I was horrible at interrupting. I was horrible at jumping in. I, I never stopped long enough to listen because it triggered something I was wanting to do it because that those traits that are in there and, and, and I had to learn and actually people laughed is I had to sit physically on my hands. Cause I'm a hand talker. Yeah. So I was like, if I can mute my hands, maybe I can mute my mouth, which basically meant I was muted 50% of the time because yeah. the hands <laughs> didn't stop me from me still running my mouth. And, 
but just being wired and, and, and driven that way, it's what I would call both a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's and, a blessing and a curse. And that's the hard, that's the hard things. And you said something that, that stop and smell the roses. It's so hard to, you hear that and you're like, want to, Yeah. but man, it's like, what can I, all right, I've done this one challenge. What's the next one? Or how can I move the football field goal? Right. You nailed it. And I think the thing I've learned is like, and, and it, you can, you can know these things like as you get older and have more wisdom, but like along the way for so long, especially before culture index. And I really started learning who I was and I've taken Enneagram. I'm, I'm into that stuff and it works and it's, it's true. And I hear these results and I'm like, Oh my God, that's me is you always feel like, like, Oh, if I just get to this spot or if I just do this deal, or if I just make this much money or then I'm like, I'll, I'll be cool. And Every time I've gotten to that spot where I thought was like, once I'm here, I'm like, good. I feel the same way I did before I got there. It's like, no, you just set, like you said, you set the next challenge and the next challenge. And as you know, through Culture Index is like the world needs people like you and I. But if it was just full of people like you and I, this world would have been blown up a long time I, ago. I like to tell people if the world was just full of you and I. Yeah. Because only less than 2% of the planet is wired like you and I. Yep. And if it was just you and I, we would look like that movie with Denzel Washington, The Book of Eli. Yeah. <laughs> it would all be destroyed. Done. We'd be walking around with machetes yeah. and fighting over water. And you also, like, I, I had trouble for years in my 20s relating to other people because I didn't understand why everybody wasn't like me. I didn't understand why not everybody was as ambitious or motivated or wanted to take over the world or uh, it seemed awkward to me. And then you go through something like culture index and really you just mature and you realize like most people don't want that and they're not wrong for not wanting that. And I'm not right for wanting what I want. There is no wrong or right. And that's the biggest thing you learn through culture index is like, there is no right way to be as a person. It's just, this is who you are. These are your strengths and design a life that will cater to you, but recognize along the way, there's 15 other types of people in the world and they're and without them, I couldn't be who I need to be. I can't be who I am without a trailblazer in my life or a architect or a, you know, all these different types of people. And that's what culture index really settled me down with was, okay, th there's all these different types of people and we need them all. And if we don't have them all, we don't work as a society. Yeah. And there's, and, and I, I want to touch on that surrounding yourself with the right people. So yeah. my wife and I are also business partners. And I actually was introduced to Culture Index through another friend of mine, Jamie Peace, a fellow Marine. And then Stanton, who I'd known for a very long time, found out he was there and he came in and brought it. And my wife and I are extreme different profiles. Like she's an extreme high D yeah. and a very low B. Oh, yeah. And I'm a high A and a very low C. And, but it, it, it's helped us become who we are, but you said something earlier that, that really made sense. You know, when I was like, do you ever sit there in awe and you went, man, I really don't stop long enough to think about it. As soon as you said it, I was like, I, I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what people I think are amazed at a lot of times when they meet me in real estate and realize I've only been doing it four and a half years, but I've been number one in Sotheby's here in Fort Worth three years in a row. Awesome. I've been number one in most outgoing referrals. Sotheby's and people are like, how did, how did you do it? And I was like, one, when you're as high of an A as you and I are, yeah, we've never lost anything. We just didn't win that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so true. 
And I don't dwell on failures for longer than like five seconds. It's it's what can I learn from it? Yep. What what, what were the blind spots? What can I do? And then, but then once you get there, it's like you said, you're like, if I'm doing half a billion, what am I? Why am I not doing a, a billion? Yeah. And but like you said, with these surrounding of these other profiles, is there's no way I would be in the top one percent of producers here in Fort Worth yep. if it wasn't for my team oh. who have to, they have to, they have to have high D's yep. because while mine hooks, that basically means I'm like a plane landing on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. I actually have a hook that'll stop the plane. Yeah. I'm not going to stop myself. You're just going to go off the end of the aircraft I'm gonna carrier. Go off. You're, you're going off the other side. I'm done. Right. And I have to surround myself with high D people because I, I'll stop long enough to maybe listen. Yeah. And, but if I didn't have them, there's no way we would have hit that number one. You nailed it. Right. I mean, and that's the, that's the interesting part about hiring. Early on, bef- before Culture Index, and really just before I understood people in hiring, again, I've never worked for anybody. So nobody ever taught me how to hire or train or leadership. You naturally, you naturally seek out people that are similar to you. So early on in my earliest days when I was hiring people, it was like I was just looking for like me in people. And then I was looking around our office and I was like, I can't get people to like, listen, I, I can't get people to slow down. I can't get them to focus on details because that's not who I am. And I was getting frustrated at that. And then I realized really quickly is like, no, for me to be effective at what I'm doing, I need to f- surround myself with people that have opposite skill sets than I do and vice versa. They need me. They need me to pull them along and I need them to keep me in the fairway or I could go anywhere. So how does that work? Let me interrupt you because I know you're, you're you're not just an avid golfer. Like you 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 grew up being a competitive golfer. Yeah, which to me, I, I, I look, I've I've played at it, but I've never played it. Right. Yeah, yeah. That seems to take a lot of focus. Is that why you? Is that why what draws you to maybe playing golf? Is because it's 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 a challenge of. It's because it's me. Yeah, I can only depend on myself. That's what daredevils like to do. I, I hate to say it, but I'm naturally a selfish person. Most entrepreneurs are. I realize the value of the team, but I'm not. It, my natural state is I'm going to take care of myself and pull the team forward, but I'm not willing to like sit in the back and let somebody pull me forward. In golf, it's an individual sport. I'm either winning or I'm either losing, but I don't have to worry about you know the folks around me. And so I played sports young. But as soon as I started kind of growing up and I enjoyed them, but as soon as like it kind of registered to me and I played golf that like, oh shit, if I have a good day, it's on me, a bad day, it's on me. I was like, I didn't realize at the time that was the case, but looking back, it's probably why I loved golf so much. Wow. It's more the individual aspect. Man, that makes, that, that makes so much sense. And, you know, and something else that you had said about that, you know, don't stop smelling the roses, you know, what's the next thing? And as I was telling you on Monday when I was flying back from Wisconsin and I was listening to you and Nick Hubert's ep- episode was, you know, that content that y'all talk about in the, in the episode. T- t- talk to us about that. Yeah. So there's a gentleman in town, Pete Chambers, that is, he's like one of my best friends in the world. He's, he's, he's older than I am. He's probably 15 years older. He's like a mentor. And we've just spent a lot of time the last three or four years. He's helped me just like really think about you can't be great at the office if you're not great at home. Like if you have a shitty home situation, it's really hard to show up and have like a well-rounded life. 
And naturally as an entrepreneur, it's really easy for me to get carried away in work and business and like not come home for dinner for nights on end or not, you know, it'd be easy to skip a kid's soccer game because I'm working and, you know, I think I'm doing the right thing, but by working and providing, but at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not living a balanced life. And we, we just got into deep conversations and like one of them was just, if you look at people that are down the road in their career and they're 60, 70, 80 years old, like very rarely will you ever meet somebody that says like, I wish I had just made more money. It's naturally like, I wish I had spent more time with my kids. I wish I had taken my wife on that vacation. I wish I had spent more time with my grandkids. And for damn sure, the people that are on their deathbed with maybe a day to live, None of them are asking for more money. They're asking them for more time with the people that they love, the things that they went. And if you're chasing things that aren't those, your fan, like the things that are, that are really important, you'll never really be content. And you can't be happy unless you're content. It's like impossible. And, and as an entrepreneur, I'm never, I just got done saying I'm never content. I'm at a half a billion. I want a billion. But I think what Pete's taught me in being content is, I can, when I'm, when I have a, when I'm having a bad day or a bad month or a bad week, and for anybody listening, anybody that thinks that entrepreneurs just like live this great life that they're always, it's like total bullshit. I know so many entrepreneurs and it's a roller coaster. Your life's a, you're an entrepreneur, you're a roller, it's a roller coaster. You have highs, you have lows. The thing that's helped me the most is going like when I'm at a low point, just fact checking myself and going, am I content right now? Like what's driving my unhappiness? 95% of the time, it's just like, I'm not content. My friends are going on a vacation that I didn't go on or my, you know, my wife or, you know, I, I at work, I'm, I'm not succeeding. Like I want to succeed. I'm not content. You have to be comfortable with where you're at because if you're not, you just can't be happy. And I think if you ask anybody, most people, you're like, what do you want in life? Like, I just want to be happy. Some people say like they want a lot of money. I don't think they really, I think they really want a lot of money because they think they're going to be happy. You rarely meet somebody that's like, I want to be pissed off my whole life or I don't want to be, I don't want to be happy. Most answers is always like, I want to be happy. You are happy when you're content. That's why when with our friends, we're happy because we're with our friends. That's why when we're on vacation, it's not the vacation or the nice resort that's making us happy. I know plenty of people that go to nice resorts and they're pissed off the whole time they're there pissed off because their the house cleaning service didn't come and clean their room or i know people that have no money and are happy and i know people that have all the money in the world and will never be happy and it really boils down to who's content and i'll and i'll end this rant on a real estate analogy but you often i say this all the time if you go on a job site you the happiest people on the job site are always like the roofer It's like sitting underneath the tree at lunch, like playing music, eating, you know, their sack lunch that they bring. And they're always having like a great time. Who's like the most stressed out person on site? Like the developer. Oh, this window's not right. Or like this brick color is not right. Or like if we're over budget or we're delayed or blah, blah, blah. They're just not content. And you might say, but the developer's the one making the most money of everybody on site. It's like, well, yeah, but that's not why he's happy. Yeah. It's say, so that's a long way of saying, I think a lot about in my life when things aren't going right, am I content with what's going on? And most of the time, the answer is no. And that's why I'm not happy. Yeah. So it's a way to just like diagnose yourself. It's not, I, I will never be fully content. I don't think humans are built 
But when you realize you're not, that's a way to go. That's why I'm not happy. Let's reprioritize in the moment. Yeah. And, or as I like to joke around, if you ever want to know why entrepreneur is successful, they probably carry 70% or more of the traits in the description of being bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Dude, I, I am bipolar. Oh man. Life. Your, your highs, your lows, and you're, you're always like, you know, you and I like chaos. Yeah. We, we live in the chaos. And what I try to explain to people is they're like, why do you create chaos around you? If it, you know, I have to be cognizant of that. It's like, Hey, don't go create chaos is because when chaos happens, you and I, where most people, they get it. Anxiety jumps in. Anxiety jumps in when there's no chaos for guys like you. Yeah. But when there's chaos, our heart rate actually goes down. Yeah. Like people would laugh. They would be like, so what would you do when people were shooting at you? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I'd breathe and then shoot at them back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, how could you stay calm? And I was like, man, you got to understand how I'm wired is the more chaotic a situation is, the lower my heart rate actually gets. Yeah. And, but if I'm not living in chaos and I'm given the opportunity, I'm going to create it around me. So I have to carry people that also don't necessarily call them babysitters, but, but, but check, keep, help keep me in check. Like, For Hey, sure. you're going over and be like, yeah, cause I don't want to do that to people. I don't, I don't, I don't. And, and that takes me to when you're talking about content. So I've had a, an executive coach a couple of times and I just finished up a two year round with my last one this last December. And in the beginning, when he and I first met in 18, 2019 yeah 2019 2020 yep 2019 is one of our very first sessions is he said the definition of wealth is having 100% control of your time and when that soaked in I was like whoa that also depending on what you want in life and where you are in life might come with a financial number that gives you the advantages to be able to have some things that offset that for you to have that control. So huh. for, and he also said the other side of that coin is there's not a shortage of people on this planet that will utilize your time for their benefit. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you say controlling time, I think taking it even a, a level deeper is you can have all the money in the world and you can have a private plane and you can have, you know, you can, there's nothing you can't buy to get an obstacle out of your way. But I think even further and deeper, what he means is, but if you spend two hours of your day pissed off about why the engine in your private plane broke, then you aren't in control of your time. Your private plane is controlling your time and you don't know it. And the wealthier people get and they put a George Carlin, the comedian, you know him, he has this great skit on stuff. And he just has this thing about how like all we do is we have a house and then we get a bigger house because we need a place to put our stuff. And then we get a storage unit because we need a place to put more stuff. And we lock our house so that nobody comes and takes our stuff. And my, my point being, when you are, if, if you have a lot of money and you buy a lot of things, there's always something that could go wrong. And the more stuff you have, the more likely it is that your mind could be hijacked for the day worrying about, you know, your second house that's the air conditioning went out or your planes, all these things. And so... When I think of controlling your time is like on one end, it's like, yeah, as a wealthy person, you can buy things and get obstacles out of your way. But there's also lots of things in your life, like your business, your kids that can occupy your mind for the day. And that's not total freedom either. When you spend all day worried about what's going on in your life and all this stuff you've accumulated, you don't want it to break or you don't want your business to do bad or the person you might have to fire when you get to work that day. There's mental jail, too. 
you could sit here and say like, yeah, I do have, I can control my calendar. I'm in control of my own destiny. But if you're sitting there on your plane and the whole time you're thinking about all that could go wrong in your life, that's not freedom either. Yeah. And when you don't have anything, there's not a whole lot that could really go wrong. You don't have to worry about something. You know, you kind of know what I'm saying? No, no, no. You're right on point. Although Nick Huber wants you to have lots of stuff. So that way it helps him and his uh, self-storage empire that he's yeah. building. He needs you to get more <laughs> <I know>. stuff. <laughs> well, and that actually that. is a great segue into what I what I really wanted to hear more from you on. And, and, and I, I know you've talked about it on your episodes, especially the one with you and Nick is social media. And I listened to the one where it was Kenneth with Opal, right? Mm-hmm. How social media can really just control so many, of your, so much of your time if you let it. And I, the thing I find funny is people are like, man, how do you have time to work? You're always on social media. And then I go, well, you really have someone that's me online. It's, it's only me 5%, maybe 5% of the time. And, and if you know me well enough, you can tell it when it's my post because it's not as professional, mm-hmm. right? There'll, there'll be something in there. It's like, Okay, that was Span that did that, right? (laughs) Um, But I knew that social media, if you're not utilizing social media in your businesses, you are missing out right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. And and when I I came into residential real estate four and a half years ago, I saw that early on. And and Sotheby's was really big on advertisement and everything else. And I went to him and said, hey, what what are you doing about all this social media stuff? Oh, we know that's coming. But, and, and so that was one of the, contributors that helped us build our brand and build the level of business that we're doing. But I knew that I could get sucked into doing social media 80 hours a day. And so actually my, my college roommate at TCU, his younger brother had just started, I think I was his first client. He goes, Hey, I want to start a social media company. And I said, Hey, great. And then we just kind of grew together, learning and evolving and changing, but I wasn't paying that much attention to it. Cause I was just like, Hey, send stuff, to, send stuff to Nate. Nate's going to control all that. I mean, like he was doing so good of a job. Like I'd walk into what other gathering event and people be like, man, that was a great post. And I'm like, what the hell did he post? Am I going to know someone I got to speak to? But then it, it was really interesting is I, 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 I've had Twitter. I, I never really read Twitter. I mean, I might jump on there every once in a while, scroll through it, whichever. And, but what really caught my attention is when Twitter shut off Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, Oh, and then with, without going into a thousand other reasons why, I was like, man, that's interesting. I, what, what really is Twitter? I mean, we've been on Twitter for a couple of years. We post stuff and my podcast has now been out long enough. And that's why people are like, what happened to the span group? I was like, well, I just changed the name of the handle. It's called Winning Strategies Playbook. I, I, you know, I'm trying to drive people to the, to the, to the podcast, which therefore drives them to the website, which therefore they're downloading the podcast and then they're like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, my experience Hey, so, so it's still yeah. accomplishing the same thing. It was just another marketing tool. But I, I, I was like, well, let me go through here. And of course, I'd been following you and I was watching your feeds. And then of course, naturally, because I watch your feed, Nick's pops up. And then watching, I, I was fascinated by it. it. It wasn't, here's why I was fascinated. Let me, let me slow down so that way I can form, formulate my thought. I was fascinated by what you and Nick were doing on Twitter because another reason I didn't want to be my own controller of social media is I felt that it was very one directional. It's really just people saying, here's my opinion. And if you don't like it, I'm going to unfollow you, block you, whatever else. And I was like, I really don't want to engage in that because I'm a big believer in dialogue. Yeah. I, I, dialogue, communication is everything in the world. 
it's why like when you were asking me earlier on, you're like, Hey, why do you have all these Chinese symbols in your LinkedIn profile or whichever? And I was like, well, I used to live in China. Mandarin was the second foreign language I learned. I learned three foreign languages because I, I wanted to be able to communicate with people. Right. I, I got culture index because I wanted to know how I communicate with someone and create dialogue. But I, but it wasn't until, you know, just in the last few months here that when I saw you and Nick and what y'all were doing, I was like, they're not just having one-way conversations. They have dialogue. And, and then I became fascinated because I know how busy you are. So for the audiences, I, Chris and I don't know each other very well. Met a handful of times, more in passing. I think the first time I really physically met you was maybe four years ago, maybe a little bit longer. But I knew who you were. I've been a fan. I followed, you know, what you've done in your success. But I also knew that you didn't get to where you're at by having a whole lot of time on your hands. Right. So instantly, because I'm always trying to solve this time equation, I became fascinated. And then after then, I was like, okay, I'm going to start listening to Chris's podcast and how it's very much a part of your business plan and what you're doing. So talk, talk to us about Twitter, that kind of, how, does that make sense? What I'm yeah. saying? Well, you, you kind of started by saying, you know, social media, I think we, social media has been around for 17 years. Facebook came out in like 2004 ish. We'll call that when I, when I, my space was out before we'll, we'll kind of use the Facebook analogy. And I think we've gone through like all these phases. It's like the first five years was like, Oh, I get to see my old long lost cousin that I haven't seen in forever. And like, we get to connect. And then, and then we went through this phase where it's like, Oh, we can put businesses on social media and like, we can, you, you can represent your business. And then you started seeing the generation of like, especially the younger generation, like their identity is who they are online. I mean, I have, a lot of people I know that have young kids that are in their teens and like they care more about who they are online than they care more than who they are today. And so we're evolving to where like you, who you are online, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like almost hard to describe matters. What matters in business being top of mind to somebody like you can be the best realtor in the world, but if I don't think of you, it doesn't matter. What you're doing with the podcast and your social media handles is one, you're being top of mind, but the, anybody, the only reason anybody's going to follow you anyway is because you're interesting to them. And I think what we're now learning to your point is like, it ain't interesting to just have these like static posts that like everybody wants to hear. People want to align with people that they align with. And you can, and you, and so I look at who I am online as like my personality. That's who I'm trying to show people. We love people's brands and personalities, not just because I say people, I think follow me because I'm authentic. I'm willing to put stuff out there that people don't agree with, but if we call them fortune cookie people, but if, if I'm just somebody posting all these quotes that are that like, nobody's going to disagree with, and it's very easy to like it. It's like, Okay, that's one thing. But if you go look at the people on social media that are winning, they're winning because they're being authentic and they're being their true selves online. And I'm in a fortunate spot now that with the podcast and with Twitter, I look at this next phase of, of my career as like, look, I've hired people that are great at finding real estate deals. 
I've found people that are hired people that are great at managing them. I've hired people that are great at accounting. So what's my role? If I'm trying to be better at those certain things, then I don't need to hire people. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing. What you see with Elon Musk now, who runs Tesla, but he's got 48 million followers on Twitter. And as soon as he tweets the word Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin goes up five, you know, 10%. The world is changing now. And if you have the attention, you can move the world and shape the world. And I look at my little slice of the pie as like, how can I grab some attention to help the things going on in my life? Whether that be my business, whether that be my podcast, whether that be somebody I want to help, whether that be my, I go by Fort Worth Chris. A lot of that is so if I one day have X amount of followers, Fort Worth is in everybody's mind every time they think of me and that could benefit the city. So I have like a, a long way of thinking about it, but I think we're entering this world and you see it all the time. And when you just mentioned this Donald Trump getting taken off of Twitter, you know, everybody gave him shit forever that, oh, why do you use Twitter to communicate? Guess why? Because he could cut through all the noise and he said what he wanted to say and that's how he wanted it said and that's how he wanted it read. If I have to go through somebody, you know, some marketing agency to, to say what I want to say, but they're going to spin it in their direction then you're just like everybody else. He said, no, like, I'm just going to go straight to Jeremy Spann. This is what I want to say. Now, I'm not saying what he said is what she should have said, but that's what he thought he should say. And oh, by the way, he became president of the United States doing it. Yeah. That's pretty fucking powerful. Excuse my friend. No, but hey, man, you're talking to a Marine, so you can say fuck all you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, out, we're in the room. We're in the room. <laughs> but you see, I mean, it's not even him. You see, now you see, though, a lot of politicians are all on Twitter. A lot of celebrities are on Twitter. And oh, by the way, all these people that didn't become celebrities the traditional route by going to Hollywood and getting an agent and being like kind of told like you're the next guy, the next Tom Cruise will become Tom Cruise on their own, not because they went through some agency that built them up and promoted them and owns their brand. It's because they're just going to be who they're going to be. And if you go now look at, I think, the number one job that people under 18 want right now. They want to be a YouTube creator. And it's easy for you and I and our, we're older in life to go like, what the hell do they want to be a YouTube creator for? But guess what? There's people on YouTube making $50 million a year. That's a real business. And they're doing it with a staff of like five or six people. And they're shooting videos all day. There's a kid out of Houston that does kids videos and the kids making he's, he's eight years old. His parents kind of built the brand, but he just reviews toys all day and he does things like that. And the kid makes 12 million bucks a year making YouTube videos. The world is changing like right before us. And you can either choose to continue being the person that's like, ah, I'm not going to be on social media or you can lean into it. And I've leaned into it. I think. The work, I, I, I peel off two or three hours a day to be online on social. And I would tell you the ROI on that time is unbelievable. But it wasn't two years ago that I was like you. I was like, I don't know if I should be on Twitter during work. And now two years later, I'm like, Twitter is work. Yeah. So funny. I'm here yeah. with you today because of a lot of what I've done on Twitter. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had written that out of the note is what I was getting ready to say is I reached out to you on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I tagged you in, said, how about, you know, fellow frog, come on uh, my podcast. And instant, I, it was another reason I was fascinated. Your response was so instant. I, 
I was like, how is this guy able to do this? And you said, send me a direct message, sent you a direct message. You're like, hey, email me and Shanna. We'll get everything set up right yeah. through there. And because I, it's me. Yeah. It and is I'm, actually you. That's what the, it's not nobody me having somebody. Nobody has you. access to my Twitter account. Yeah. Except for me. So that's when you great. when you're like, damn, that's a lot of stuff. He must yeah. have somebody. No, no, he doesn't. But you know, th- let's I'll take one more thing on Twitter and why this isn't a rant on why you should be on Twitter, but you should, I think, or you should be on some type of social if you're trying to to move your your life forward. It's just table stakes now. It just is, and people like can can, can remember like Warren Buffett lives in Omaha, Nebraska, greatest investor of all time. But he knew about, he used, he's been a storyteller. He's the, the OG of storytelling. He hosts an annual conference. It's like the Woodstock for finance that millions of people view in on. He writes an annual letter, which is like he's been writing since the 60s, which is the most widely reviewed letter in finance that people can't wait. So some people are like, Warren doesn't use social media. Well, he might not be on Twitter. But he's telling he's told his story better than anybody on the planet. This guy in Omaha and everybody in the world knows about him and he doesn't even use an iPhone. Now, the younger generations are using their iPhone to tell their stories. But at the end of the day, the people winning the game right now are telling the best stories. And that's pure, purely end and simple. Like we want we want to follow somebody's story more than we want to follow some auto-generated post from some machine that says like Chris is in real estate. People are humans really understand uh, what's authentic and genuine and they can, they, they didn't, and they, they enjoy it. I think we're living in a world now where the, the, the mainstream media is telling you not to be authentic and genuine. It's telling you to believe one thing or you're bad. Follow the rules or we'll cancel you do this or else. It's like refreshing to be honest. It's refreshing to have disagreement. And while it's not being told every day, I think it's what's truly valued. What we want in life is is truth. And you can do that through Twitter and you can do that through social media. So, and I would say one more thing is so in October this year, it's called Reconvene. I'm going to go meet 500 friends that I've met online. My buddy is hosting a conference and this has all come about from 500 people in the real estate community that met each other on Twitter. I've never met 99% of these people in person, even though I talk to them every day on Twitter. We text message and email. We help each other out. I've never met these people in person. So we're going to meet for the first time in October. And that's really weird. I, I was joking the other day. I was like, I feel like two of my best friends I've like still never met yet. And that's the world we're headed to. Not that I have great personal relationships. I cherish being in person. I love all my friends. But we live in a world now where you can be best friends with somebody that you've still never met in person. You know, it's really funny too. Is I, so I, I think today was day number 64 in a row of Twitter quoting Joe Rogan. And so, what do you mean by that? So, I, it was really funny. You were so responsive that I said, you know, I'm always, you know, I, I like moonshots. Right? I, I hate low hanging fruit. Yeah. Now, you, you got to take the low hanging fruit to pay the bills and do all this stuff. But I like moonshots. I like the impossible. You and I are high A's, right? Nothing can't be done. If somebody says it can't be done, our response is challenge accepted. Yeah. Right? <laughs> my beer. And so is so right after that engagement with you is 
You you went after Joe Rogan. Uh, I, and I went day one of Twitter courting Joe Rogan to be on my hashtag podcast called hashtag winning strategies playbook and hashtag Fort Worth. Because it's also a part of guys like you and I, we're tr- we like to figure things out. We yeah. like to solve things. So I'm learning now because I've had somebody else do this for me is like, what hashtags do I use that may maybe trigger something or yeah. ads or whatnot? And then it evolved into, oh, Joe Rogan at Joe Rogan because it's his. And then a friend of mine, another Marine, he, he, he sends me a text that says, you know, Joe Rogan has actively said that he has a Twitter account, but he really uses Instagram because he doesn't like Twitter. So you should stop doing the Twitter thing. You just added more challenge to it. <laughs> so I want to be that guy that got him. And then when I'm sitting here in the same room as you and I've got Joe Rogan, because I'm convinced, right? You can't convince guys like you and I that it can't be done. Yeah. We will die before. Like, if I didn't get Joe Rogan, that's because we were at day 1700 of recording Joe Rogan, but Span did something dumb and got, you know, fell off a cliff or whatever else and died. So yeah. I'm either going to die or it's going to do it. Because I told him, I said, oh, I'm going to keep doing it this way. I'll just figure out a way to maybe add people to it or use hashtags because there's nothing because the first thing I would ask Joe is be like, Hey, you said you don't go on Twitter, but that's how I got to you. Yeah. And I got you on here. I'd be the only one that did it. Yeah. And I would be really excited. <laughs> you know, and now people listen to this, maybe there's 50,000 people trying to do the same thing. Right. They'd be yeah. like, Hey, we're going to do the same thing. Uh-huh. But I started using like, then it was like at Joe Rod- Rogan fan headquarters. Yeah. And last week, the, the headquarters of this fan club retweeted my tweet. And I was like, well, all right. By an inch or by a mile, winning's winning. Yeah. And I'm one step closer to, you know, getting there. That's Because awesome. I'm convinced. Now, maybe it is. I might have to augment it some way, somehow. But, I, you know, I, to me, it's just a challenge. And somebody yeah. goes, well, what if he never comes on your podcast? You stop doing your podcast. I'm like, I don't think that way. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not programmed that way. I, I don't process things that way. But I know that I, I my views on what Twitter is and and doing it, too, is watching, you know, your, your storytelling, Nick's storytelling, other people that are in there to go, really, I really think that I need to make this more part of what I'm doing because I do want people, I mean, you know, people go, well, you have podcasts that get to know you. And I was like, well, they get snippets because eight more than 80% of the conversation and content is coming from the guest. Right. And, you know, and yeah, and when I go on other people's podcasts, they get to learn a little bit more about me and whatnot, but Twitter, someone Someone may or may not listen to that particular podcast, but there is a wider net to cast yep. on Twitter. So really appreciate learning from you on that. And it is actually becoming more and more involved in what I do on a daily basis. And actually, it's kind of funny is this courting Joe Rogan thing is if I need to have a habit that I'm not used to, I have to do that thing every single day for it to become a habit or I'm so ADD like a squirrel on methamphetamines that I'll totally go off another direction. <laughs> so it's also part of me going, Hey, if I've been on Twitter today, because if I go make that Joe Rogan day 64 of Twitter coding, courting Joe Rogan, I'm naturally going to go, well, what Chris put out today, Yeah, you know, and then, or what's Nick putting out today or what are they going back and forth on? Like he, he sent one out the other day. It was like, do you think that, that agents are disconnected with the market? And appraisers disconnected with the market. And I got in there and I mean, he's got 100,000 followers. I, I know he probably didn't see mine or whatever, but I was like, disagree on the agents. I'm doing my part. 
but appraisers are definitely because I, rem- I saw that. Did you? Yeah, I did. Okay, Nick, listen to this podcast. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> so that's thanks, man. That's because I was like, man, appraisers are are they're holding us back. Like, hey, yeah. as a matter of fact, like for example, part of our business plan, we don't do CMAs. Yeah, to me, it was old and antiquated. Now, what I do is we have created a spreadsheet that we can grab. It used to take me a half a day to do each spreadsheet. Now it takes me ten minutes. And when I say I created the the vision of it, and then my team created the actual process of making it, where now they can grab raw data, and when somebody's going to buy a house or sell a house, they get a spreadsheet that gives them four years of data that shows the trajectory of what's going on, and it's broken back from you know the last twelve months, previous twelve, previous twelve, previous twelve. And then it has all the houses in that area. But then yeah. we use the filters to go, these are the most comparables. Because I'm a guy that I like I like to see data. Right. And, and, and I might want to look at it all. And I just don't want it to be handpicked for me by somebody I may or may not know if they're really good at their job or not in this industry. Because, unfortunately, the barriers of entry into the real estate business is very low. So you right. have a very significant chance of getting somebody who's not very sophisticated or not quite experienced yet. Yeah. And... So now I'm able to hand somebody a spreadsheet or email them spreadsheet. And like, let's say, for example, we had this happen the other day and I was really excited to speak on this appraiser thing is when somebody goes, should I buy in this neighborhood? I'm like, that neighborhood has been growing on an average, on average, $10 a square foot a year. So yeah, it, it, math for Marines, if it's a, thousand square foot house, that means it's going to grow by $10,000 in value over the next 12 months. So if you feel like you're overpaying for that $100,000 house, and we know there's no $100,000. If you were going to buy that $100,000 house today, really what you're doing is you're pre-buying it at market value 12 months from now, based on the last four years. Now, it's not an end-all, say-all to anything, but at least gives you a snapshot. It's just saying, here's the data. Here's the data. So we, two weeks ago, had a house, 48 hours, 35 offers. And that's a lot of thing on my team. So the first thing, when I see 35 offers, the first thing I, as I go is I missed something. We priced it way, way too low. Now, I knew we priced it to get multiple offers, but I was like, did we price it extremely low? But we didn't. Had we priced it $10 or, or had we priced it $10,000 higher, it would have been priced at a point where, an appraiser wouldn't have appraised it. Right. And so I was like, did we miss something? And it was like, no, we just, it's, it's in an area that's highly desired and, and it's in an area and it was in a price point that is one of the most competitive price points there is with no inventory. Yeah. So then the next week, last, last week, or maybe week before last, we had another one, eight offers, eight hours. And I was like, man, I just, so I'm always going back going, did I miss something? Cause I want to make sure I didn't miss something. Cause I never wanted to miss something. Right. And, and we were like, no, we actually priced this one, right? We didn't even price it for multiple offers. Yeah. And we had eight offers. And matter of fact, after the first eight hours of showings, the, the, the client says no more. All right. We'll pick from one of those. I, I am not, I am not doing this. And so, and I was like, okay. And these offers were coming in significantly higher. And so we knew we were going to run into appraisal issues because when you got 35 offers, a lot easier to get a waiver of appraisal and somebody who's got the cash to make up the difference. This one wasn't going to have that. 
Even though we had eight offers, they were eight of the strongest offers. You're saying when you got 35, you could go to an appraiser and say, look, if 35 offers came in, like you can't say it's not worth it if right. 35. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. And on this one with the eight offers, naturally he was like, hey, I'm reaching out because there are no comps that support this. Laura Fordham spreadsheet. And he looked at it and goes, okay. Yeah. So we add value for our clients because we are intentional on helping people see the value of things unlocked. So that way it benefited both the seller and the buyer. Yeah. Now, of course, buyers sometimes be like, well, I'd like it if it came in and under blah, 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 and all that. But, but sometimes you want a buyer to go, hey, it's a VA product. The VA, they're, they're real strict on that. And if we get this thing to appraise, because a VA, zero cash down, typically aren't going to have the money to make that up. But here it is. Is a, is, is a veteran missing out on being able to buy a property that would miss out on when that veteran being in that property, by the way, in my neighborhood, a friend of mine bought a house two years ago. And I said, buy this house. I said, you're. You, you will almost, I said, you, you're going to gain seventy five dollars to $100,000 in value over the next three years. He's like, what? Well, at the two-year mark, he's like, hey, getting ready to move, need to sell my house, $75,000 in value. Wow. Now, that particular house, we didn't have any appraisal issues on, but what happens if that vet missed out on an opportunity to gain $75,000 cold cash put in their pocket on selling a house? Because people were doing things in an antiquated way. Yeah. Are we at that point we're not helping that bet who, yeah. who's trying to use a product that they earned the right to get by serving their country. Now I don't want to jump down that bandwagon because I will I will go off on on that one for a long time and I and 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 I and I know we're running short on time here. So I just want to ask an, a, another question before we before we wrap this up because I'm interested in your philosophy on this because I have a very different philosophy. Is you are very adamant on both Twitter and your podcast that people are returning to the office. Right. And I, I don't think they're going to return to the extent that, that you express they're going to return. I think it's gonna be a little bit more of a hybrid, you know, like you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. We might both be wrong. Both of us might not know anything. We might hit COVID 20 next week. People's like, what's COVID 20. I'm like, I don't know. We had 19, 18 and 17. So 20 is bound to come along at some point. But yeah. what is it that is so behind your 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 belief that we're returning to the office. And so just to be clear, my my take on the office isn't that isn't coming from everybody should be in an office five days a week, all day, every day. It's more that the office is important. Because I think for the first six months of COVID or the first for a long the first part of COVID, it was like, oh, we're all gonna work from home forever and like nobody's ever going to walk into an office building again. And well, uh, that's just not true. And I'll tell you, I, my thing is I've built teams. You and I have become better friends today because we are right here in this room together. I don't care what you say. We could Zoom every day for the rest of our lives. And we got closer today because we're in the same room together today. If I'm a, Imagine your first day out of college and your first day of work is in your bedroom on a zoom and you're trying to be mentored and learn about business and you're on a team. What's a team? Six people's on zoom screen. That's the team. 
you know, the Chicago Bulls aren't the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan were because they're each training on their own and then they just show up for game time every day. They're a team because they're in the locker room together. They overhear things together. They hug each other, fist bump like they get close. You can't do that through the Internet. And there's something called FOMO. And so you think about the kid coming out of college that needs to be mentored. Most of what you've learned, imagine being a Marine or a vet and trying to learn how to do that without. Uh, that's why you all think it's so special. It's the, it's the camaraderie. Well, we're social creatures and we have been for millions of years. And to think that one little pandemic is going to totally blow that up is insane. People are starving for social attention right now. And especially if you have families and you're trying to work from home with two kids that are running, like it's miserable. And on top of that, and John Goff, who just bought the Crescent for the third time, he wrote an article yesterday that I was reading and he said, uh, they said, why did you buy the most expensive office building in Dallas in the pandemic? And he said, well, here's an analogy. A few weeks ago on a totally separate deal, we had to do this big deal and we were interviewing five investment banks for who was going to do it. One investment bank flew in from New York City and the other four did their pitch over Zoom. Guess who won the pitch? New York City. The group that flew down from New York City to Dallas and was in the room. He said, business is a competitive sport. And sports are played out in person. They're not played online. And he just said this, this idea of what's called FOMO. So guess what the other four banks are probably sitting here saying right now? Fuck, we lost that deal because we weren't in person. So maybe the next mm -hmm. round, maybe now two of them. So it might take a little bit, but FOMO is the most powerful thing in the world, fear of missing out. It is the most powerful thing in the world. It's why we buy a nicer car. It's why we buy a nicer house. It's why we need that new shirt. It's why we need to be at the party. It's why we don't want to leave, be the first one out. FOMO drives the world. And what I'm telling, and, and, then, and then one other thing is you, you will start hearing this. Even the more talented person that's working from home, they get passed up on a promotion because the guy that's in the office is in the office every day. He's in the room. You want to be in the room. You want to be relevant. It goes back to social media. You want to be top of mind. It's hard to be top of mind when you're working from your bedroom through a Zoom camera. And guess what? Most executives will be in the office. And guess who's going to want to be close to the executives? The team. So with all that said, right now we allow employees to work. For, I, I want my, you know, you, you hear these companies that say like we give unlimited vacation days. We don't. Teams don't want unlimited vacation days. They want to be able to take their kids to soccer practice or take their kids to work for an hour. Great people want to work. They just don't want to be jailed down to like, you must be here from here to here. They want a little flexibility. We let people work from home if their kid's sick one day. You should do that. You should be able to be in Dallas and go hop in and, and work from somewhere. So my argument isn't like, you, you got to be jailed in an office it's that the office environment itself is where the magic happens. And I would just say, I want to, if, if, if I'm left to my own devices, please let me compete with fully remote teams that never see each other in the office. Because you might hear, oh, people love it. But I would tell you, I don't think they're as loyal to their companies. I don't think, I think they're, they're, they're going to be easier to leave. And you're now hearing of people that are on these fully remote teams and work from home teams they're actually working two jobs. 
like company A doesn't even, this person's like working for two companies and they'll never know it. I just think being in the room and the perfect analogy is you, you and I today, I will remember you more. You will become a better friend of mine today. Even if we had come in here and said nothing to each other for an hour and just kind of sat in the room and this bumped and I'll never forget you, but I can forget a zoom pretty damn quick. You know, you know, what's really kind of funny is this is, this is another reason why I've just always been a fan of yours is I'm always wanting to get better. But sometimes, and you know, I'm trying to look for a reason. I'm, I'm always looking for a reason to disprove myself. Yeah. Right. And, but I wasn't finding anything. And just you explaining that is already altering my perception of what my beliefs were to be able to go, man, I didn't think about that. And, 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 like, yeah. and I, and I, and I really appreciate that. It's like, again, I think we should be able to work from home and remote, but I will tell you like the people showing up to the office every day and it might not happen all at once, but a year from now, the FOMO will set in. People will be losing business because they're not in the room. And trust me, it only takes a couple quarters of losing business before the CEO goes, get your ass back in the office. Yeah. Like we're traveling, we're showing up, we're shaking hands. You can say it's not going to happen. And I'm not saying you will any critics, but I'm already watching it happen day in and day out. And again, I'm so glad we got to sit in the room together today, but we are better friends today because we are in the room together than we would have ever been. If, even if we zoomed for this period of time. So I have a request. Okay. What's up? You got a lot of followers. Yeah. You follow 754. Can I be 755? Do I not follow you? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I will. Me, yeah, we'll do look. it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it right here it. on the podcast. Right. <laughs> I can't tell. I haven't learned enough to know. Does it, does it, winning. does it say we're following each other or not? <laughs> what, what's it called? Uh, uh, winning strategies. Winning. Yeah. Why you're, why you're, so why you're doing that is we're, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up and, I, I know you do something very similar on your podcast as you're as you're doing these. Um, there we go. Is done. <laughs> we're there. We're dating. And by the way, I would have totally, officially dating. I would have been totally not offended if you would have been like, "I'll do it once you start putting out good content." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, go back to twenty year old self. Yeah, A million things we could tell ourselves. What's the one thing? Because I know you ask this question of people. Yeah. Well. What's that one thing you tell 20-year-old self? The one thing I would tell my 20-year-old self, there's probably lots. So if I've been on multiple podcasts, I might have said something different. But there's, look, I, there's lots of things. Is For this one, I'll just leave it at this. To be successful doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be successful in this world. Being nice and telling the truth will get you farther in life than inventing the next rocket to space. And I think so many people think that business requires all these crazy, there's all these business books and they make it sound so complicated. But the people that are most successful in business are nice and they tell the truth. We, we are humans, what we were just saying. We want to be with people that we like and we want to be with people that we trust. And if you're a person that people want to be with and somebody that people trust, you'll win. Now, on the flip side of that, it takes a lifetime to keep that going, and it takes one instance to destroy it forever. So all I would tell you is, as, and, it, and when you're young, everybody's trying to get up the ladder as quickly as possible. 
Don't do something so stupid not thinking you've got 60 years ahead of you. Be patient a little bit. I suffer from that. I'm not patient. But I have been honest and I have been nice. And don't break that for anybody. And if you're nice and you're honest consistently every day, great things will happen. And especially now, and you know this, we live in a world now, the world is looking for you to slip up. They want that story. They, they love the Tiger Woods story of winning all these major championships, but the story they loved the most was when he got in trouble. That's the society we live in. And so it's a good metaphor for do the right thing, be nice, be patient. And it, it, that costs no money to you. That's free, but it's the most valuable thing you can do. And if you do that over a lifetime and you stay in business and stay in the game long enough, you'll be unbelievably successful. How do people get in touch with you? Twitter, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, or Twitter, your website? You but- can find me on Twitter, at Fort Worth Chris. You can find our company's website, fortcapitallp.com, or you can check out my podcast, The Fort Podcast with Chris Powers. And for those of y'all that are driving right now and worried you couldn't write this down quick, as usual, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Click on Chris Powers, read more. These links will be there so that way you can learn more about Chris. I'm also going to post another podcast that Michael Moore did. It talk, Chris talks more in depth of his background of what you know, kind of helped take him down the trail to be where he's at. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, man. Appreciate you coming on, yeah, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. This is great. I love it. So, sorry, man. I ran five. I was trying to get.